As I began to prepare this sermon on Monday, I found myself kind of chuckling at the opening verse of the gospel. After he had fed the people, Jesus did what? All those who heard the gospel, just raise your hands, come on. He, Jesus did what? Made the disciples get into a boat and proceed him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Made them. Now, the Greek word translated here as made can also translate as constrain, compulsion, obligation of duty, urge. In other words, Jesus had to twist their arms to get them into the boat. I had this image of the disciples behaving a lot like children who had a fantastic day, suddenly told, it's time to go to bed. And I could see these bearded men roll their eyes and, you know, shuffle off while mumbling, it's not fair. And it'd be understandable. They had just witnessed Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. They participated in the miracle by distributing the divine abundance and collecting the huge amount that was left over. They had witnessed Jesus raise a dead child back to life, restore the sight of a man or two men blind, and made a paralyzed man walk expelled demons, and even cured Peter's mother-in-law. There may, however, have been a more serious reason why Jesus had to constrain, urge, force his disciples to get into that particular boat. They had been with him in another boat, much earlier in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. And it was not a pleasant experience. Jesus was asleep when a violent storm broke out. Screaming for their lives, they woke Jesus up, who then got up, rebuked the storm, and restored order and calm over chaos. And what was their reaction? They said, who can this be that even the winds obey him? They still weren't getting it. Well, Jesus prevailed upon his disciples to get in this particular boat, though I suspect a cattle prod was used in the process. And sure enough, what happened? They got caught in what? Another storm. And this time, Jesus was not with them. He was on the mountain praying alone. We are told that the boat was a few miles offshore. At, its, at the greatest width, the Sea of Galilee is about six, almost seven miles wide. Now, why that little detail? It emphasizes the distance between Jesus and his disciples, the church, now compounded by a storm and the darkness of the night hours. The text tells us it was during the fourth watch of the night that Jesus came walking on the sea. The fourth watch was the last watch of the night taken by soldiers guarding the city gates, covering a period between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., meaning these disciples were struggling on their own to survive for nearly three hours while Jesus was doing what? Praying being in communion with his father. And yet, 
never separated from his disciples, his church. Jesus was on watch, though they surely must have felt abandoned. Do we not feel the same way at times? How easily and how quickly we forget Jesus is always on watch for his church. Then Jesus did something only God can do. He exerted mastery over the elements of nature. He walked on the water toward the boat, and the exhausted disciples were even more terrified, thinking they saw what? A ghost. Jesus said, it is I. This expression, it is I, is found in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 4, and Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, where it serves as the form of the divine name of God. Jesus made it very clear. He is not a mere man. He's not simply a prophet. He's not even a holy man. He is God himself coming to his disciples, his church, in the midst of that particular storm and all the fears generated by the surrounding chaos. Peter, at some level, picked up on this and he showed some backbone. He asked, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He was willing to take a risk to walk into the chaos and not simply be swamped over by it. And what did Jesus say? Come. Keep that word in mind. Come. Mind you, the storm was still howling, the wind was still fierce, the boat was still being tossed, and though the light was just perhaps beginning to emerge, it was being bludgeoned by the storm. Now listen carefully. It is in the midst of all that chaos that Jesus said to Peter, Come. And here is where we find the true nature of the church as Jesus envisions it. A community of disciples who are told, Come, despite the chaos they are in, despite the powerful storms, from within them or from outside of them that threatened to engulf them, despite the howling winds created by those who are offended by truth and try to manipulate reality to make it what they want it to be and try to force us to agree with them or at the very least be silent in the face of what is contrary to human dignity. But what happens if we fail if we, like Peter, begin to sink, when we lose our focus on Jesus and are distracted by or drawn into the power of the chaos around us, there is only one thing we can do, one thing we must do. We must make Peter's cry, our cry, Lord, save me. Peter's plea for help, arguably the shortest prayer in the Bible, must be our plea, our prayer. One of the things that I urge both in private spiritual counseling and quite often in the confessional is this. Never allow your failures to define you.
I have said this many times, and I will repeat it, saying it many more times till the day I drop dead. God sees beyond the failures to the potential that lies within. If one's failure is with doubts about God's love, or doubts about the church, or, or lying, gossiping, anger, greed, the wandering eye for someone that is not one's spouse, pornography, masturbation, same-sex attraction, the spirit of laziness and not making it to church, whatever it may be, the failure is only that, a failure. Take it to confession as soon as possible. You see, failure is a kind of storm that brews up an interior chaos that insists on clinging to us, filtering everything we see and everything we hear. It tells us, see, you can't do it, can you? Just accept it. Give in. Don't fight it. It's who you are. No. From God's perspective, no failure, no number of failures has the power to define who one is. Failure has no power to alter the fundamental truth that we are, through Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of his Father, who we are graced to call our Father. And in that moment of failure, whatever its nature, However it's manifested, we must cry out as Peter, Lord, save me. And he will, in ways we may not immediately perceive, but he will. We're told that Jesus stretched out his hand and caught Peter. In the icons of the church, this particular scene is always portrayed as Jesus grasping Peter by not Peter's hand. Because what would happen? Anybody here serve as a lifeguard? What happens if you grab a drowning person by the hand? They slip away. What happens if you grab by the wrist? You got him. He ain't getting away. Jesus grasped. Peter by the wrist, meaning Jesus will never permit one who struggles to follow him to slip through his hands, that he has grasped us firmly, and he will pull us up through the storms, be they within us or outside of us, whether we generated them by ourselves, by our poor choices, or whether they've been imposed upon us by the poor choices of others. Did you notice that it is only after Jesus caught Peter and got him back into the boat, the church, that the wind died down, the storm abated? And did you notice what the disciples said? It was no longer, who can this be, as in their earlier boating experience, but truly, you are the Son of God. What does that tell us? The church, her individual members, and the community of the disciples, the Lord's body on earth, 
has no guarantee of being protected by the storms of life, but we are given the assurance of Jesus' watchfulness 24-7, his presence 24-7, his love 24-7, his concern, his strength 24-7 to not only survive the storms, but to grow from them and become stronger and more resilient through them. Many years ago, I was a layman. I was, at the time, studying in the seminary. I had a Russian Orthodox spiritual director because I had debated whether I should remain in the Catholic Church or go to the Orthodox Church. And my Russian spiritual director said a piece of advice I've always come to, and I offer it to you. Always thank God for the failure for the forgiveness he grants and the strength that you can gain from it. <laughs>